Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Thanks, 7 minutes past 12, indeed, Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. A very disturbing story here, that of a report by the Council of Higher Education's task team, revealing that only 5% of black and colored undergraduate students at tertiary institutions in the country complete their studies. What do you make of this? You can SMS us 34701. You can uh, tweet us at Kualapi News at uh, SAFM Midday Live, but also interesting what will come up of uh, come out of uh, the Cabinet briefing, briefing today. Uh, the Justice and Constitutional Development Minister is expected to address the media and also address the issue of uh, the legal representatives for the arrested and injured Marikana minors who pulled out of the Commission after the Constitutional Court ruled against their application to force government to pay for the legal costs of the minors and also what's happening at the Arms Procurement Commission. These are other stories coming up shortly, right here on Midday Live. From humble beginnings to international opera stardom, this August, the world-renowned South African soprano Priti Yende is back home for a series of concerts. In the August issue of Classic Field magazine, read a captivating interview with the opera star who graces the magazine's cover for the second time. For more exclusive interviews and the latest arts and culture news, get the August issue of Classic Field magazine, available now at selected newsagents and bookshops. Do you want to learn how to pitch your business idea effectively? Do you want to take your existing business to the next level? Engine Pitch and Polish in association with SAFM is setting the stage for entrepreneurs. If you believe in your business idea and would like some guidance, then we want you to attend our inspiring workshop where you will receive expert training and tips. This free workshop is coming to a town near you. For more info, SMS P-I-T-C-H, your name and city to 45982. Register online at pitchandpolish.com or phone 011-566-2000. SMS costs 150. T's and C's apply. Midday Live on SAFM, 104-107. A report of the Council of Higher uh, Education's task team has revealed that only 5% of black and colored undergraduate students at tertiary institutions in the whole country complete their studies. The council says a serious overhaul of the system needs to be undertaken if the situation is to change. The task team was convened last year to undertake a review of the undergraduate curriculum structure and to investigate the implications of potential curriculum restructuring. The forum at 8 this morning spoke to Professor Ian Scott who led research process and the development of the report. South Africa has a pressing need for more high-quality graduates. It's a phenomenon around the world that uh, with the way society is going, we need higher levels of educatedness in the country. But unfortunately, we are not doing well in achieving this aim apart from some areas of excellence. And uh, I would like to stress that this is not just a problem for higher education, but it affects so many aspects of our life and the development of our country and indeed the future of our whole education system because it takes graduates to run. Uh, the, the second thing is that it affects students from all race groups, though it's true that uh, because of general levels of poverty and other issues, it affects uh, the black and colored communities more. Uh, the third thing is that, of course, it is strongly affected by poverty in the country generally, bad socioeconomic conditions, and bad schooling. That is absolutely true. But it's exacerbated by the fact that higher education is using outdated structures, which were inherited, in fact, almost a century ago in the colonial era, and that are not in line with our current realities. Given our past skewed funding, mm. skewed access, etc., etc., it is perfectly true that African and colored students are least well served by our current system and most vulnerable to the big problems of poverty and poor schooling. And add, add to mm. that um, the, the linguistic issue of many African students, almost all, uh, being educated in a language that is not their mother tongue. Okay. And that is a distinct difficulty. Are we introducing, uh, Professor, alternative curricula which will help us do this? And also, I'd like you to also deal with the importance of just designing our universities to deal with different students. If we're going to be flexible about curricula, are we going to be flexible about which institutions should 
admit who. The selection criteria, SET colleges, for some reason, people seem to think that it means a lower quality of education. There's a lot of talk about the schools, and I think we know very well that the school system is not functioning well. The point here is, can we rely on improvement in the school system to solve these problems? And our thorough analysis and the analysis of many other people has come to the conclusion that it is going to take a long time to turn around the super tanker of the school system. So if we are going to address these problems and rely on outside uh, change to, uh, in the school system to, to help us, then we must be very realistic about the chances of that. And just to quantify it for a moment, we have calculated that in order for the university system to continue business as usual in a fairly effective way, we would need two to three times as many well-prepared students, traditionally well-prepared students, coming into the system, which is why we are focusing here on higher education as the one sector that can actually do something about this problem. Professor Ian Scott speaking to Tsepiso Makwetla on our sister show before I'm at 8 this morning. The South African Student Congress says that the report by the Council of Higher Education's task team has failed to address the real issues affecting students at tertiary level. Let's talk now to the Secretary General of the South African Students Congress, Temba Masondo. Good afternoon to you, Mr. Masondo. Good afternoon to you too and your listeners. Help us understand why you suggest that uh, this uh, project has failed to address the real issues. We are disappointed in the report because, of course, it comes uh, with the information which you all know that black, uh, student, black African students are not doing well academically. But our problem is uh, the analysis it provides to explain that particular problem. Instead of dealing with uh, serious issues around uh, lack of academic support, lack of proper student support services, and in some universities, unprepared academic staff, all they are focusing on is uh, unpreparedness of, of the students from uh, basic and secondary education. So to us, the analysis is very poor. It doesn't take into account realities in our universities. We speak about the inadequate academic support given to our students and the fact that the majority of our students still don't have adequate student support services which are supposed to play a central role in them uh, uh, succeeding academically. Mr. Basondo, wouldn't you say this is uh, just but one of many elements of the problems that we have in our education system then? Yes, yes, it's one amongst many. The problem we have is that the Council on Higher Education wants to emphasize it as the one and the only sector. So what we're saying is that if you are to provide a solution, for example, they are proposing some idea of a flexible academic structure, and the solution is based on analysis which is wrong, analysis which is uh, uh, narrow, uh, which doesn't really help us to, to deal with the issue in a more systematic, in a, in a more broad way. So the problem to us is that, yes, that is one of the factors, but it's not the only factor. If we are to address the problem of poor academic performance, low throughput rates, we've got to take into account all the factors and not only emphasize on the one. Mm. But at the end of the day, you will come with one solution which will not help us to deal with the problem in a more fundamental way. But if I listened uh, correctly, I heard Professor Ian Scott talking about really the system using uh, uh, the outdated structures of, of education. He's talking about skewed uh, funding that is not favoring uh, black learners or, or, or students at a tertiary level. So some of these issues that you're talking about are there in the report. Have you thoroughly studied the report, though? We have thoroughly read the 258 report. They do mention some socio-economic issues and uh, the legacy of uh, colonialism on education. They do raise all these issues, but in the final analysis, the report places emphasis on the underpreparedness, underpreparedness of the students. It's not like we're ignoring uh, the, 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 the small, you know, reference to some of the issues you are raising, but. Mm. The problem to us is that these are not emphasized in the same way in which one of the sectors which is under preparedness is emphasized. All problems, all issues uh, have got to be emphasized and solutions did not come to one conclusion. Because in terms of their 
solution. They are saying there must be a flexible academic structure. They don't tell us about what needs to be done, for example, about issues of academic support, what needs to be done about ensuring that there's enough accommodation, there's enough financial aid, there's enough uh, academically prepared uh, staff to teach our students. All they say is, is to address one sector, which is underpreparedness of uh, our students. What, what is your solution to this then? We think that we need to ensure that students are fully supported academically. Universities which are currently facing out uh, what they call foundation programs because they're not financially sustainable, all need to be put in place. We are saying uh, students who do not have accommodation, students who are sleeping in lecture halls, students who don't have uh, uh, food, uh, we need to find a way to ensure that they're given the necessary support. And we are saying no lecturer must stand on in front of students to teach while they're not properly uh, 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 prepared or, or, or trained to, to, to teach a, a particular discipline. So that's what we think must happen. In terms of the underpreparedness, we agree with the, with the, with the, with the Council on Higher Education that there needs to be articulation between uh, 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 secondary education or basic education and higher education that we fully agree with. But uh, do you but also accept that? Uh, 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 do you accept the figures that they are giving us that only five percent of black and coloured undergraduate students uh, uh, make it through? Yes, we do accept. We are not surprised. We it's something that we are aware of, and uh, it's unfortunate that South Africa now they are taking it as a something very new. It's not new. It has been there and we've always talked about it as South Korea and we've always proposed ways to deal with it. Were you consulted though uh, when uh, this uh, report or this this uh, study was undertaken at least? No, we're not consulted. We're not happy that the report is now open for public comment. Uh, we are not the way that it's being done. Uh, and this is partly me because we don't have the student representation in the Council on Higher Education Board. Uh, we're not aware um, uh, but we are happy that it's open for public comment and we will engage it in a more thorough way in the written form. Will you be pushing to have a representation in the Council of Higher Education's task team at least? We want representation in the team, we want representation in the board of the council as an institution. We'll continue to push for that. We thank you very much, Atemba Masondo. He is the Secretary General of the South African Students Congress, uh, SASCOC at uh, 20 minutes past 12. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. A top story this hour, the Human Rights Commission has called for the extension of the 31st of October deadline set for the Falam Commission of Inquiry into the Marikana tragedy to complete its work. Looking at the markets this hour, gold is trading at $1,396.80 an ounce. Platinum at $1,518.70 an ounce. The rand is trading at 10 rand 36 cents against the US dollar, at 16 rand 14 cents to the pound, and at 13 rand 81 cents to the euro. Hi, I'm Valen Kirti. I'm a Shake the World ambassador, which means that I support the eight millennium development goals set by the United Nations in 2000. Lime green, orange and dark green bees adorn my wrist because I support goal two, achieving primary education. Goal number three, promoting gender equality and empowering women. And goal seven, ensuring environmental sustainability. These are massive tasks which will need the energy of millions. My support is how I shake the world. How do you shake the world? Shake, shake. This is SAFM. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Just uh, two SMSs quickly on uh, that uh, task team report that only 5% of black and colored undergraduate students finish their studies. High dropout of students at tertiary institutions uh, has been uh, exacerbated by poverty of most black students, like Mashele in Matsakali village. And this one says, your stats are wrong. Black students include coloreds. So this is double counting. And uh, get the pass rate up, lower our education standards. That's always our country's solution. Disappointing that Scotty there. 21 past 12, midday live, SAFM 104 to 107. The lawyers representing the families of the deceased minors are planning to pursue a civil lawsuit against government. This uh, after the team forwarded a list of demands to the state two months ago. This move comes days after the Constitutional Court ruled against the lawyers representing the injured minors from getting funding from the state. 
Meanwhile, lawyers for the families of two police officers who were victims of last year's violent wage strike at Lonmin Mine in Marikana say they will continue to protect their clients' interests at the Falam Commission despite the lack of funds. For more on this now, we're joined on the line by the attorney representing the families of the deceased miners, Deboho Mosikili. Good afternoon to you, sir. Uh, good afternoon, Bongi and the SA listeners. What's your next move now? Uh, look, um, to, to be quite clear, um, our clients and, and our organization, we do have funds to continue with the commission. However, our clients are saying that without the participation of, of the miners, then they don't think that fairness can be achieved, hence they've also withdrawn from the, co- uh, from the commission. Now, all is really, from our side, dependent on what happens with the miners. If they get assistance, uh, financial assistance, then definitely we will go back to the, to the commission. If they don't, then uh, it, it's another story. Uh, but be that as it may, uh, as you quite correctly pointed out in your introduction, Ebony, we, we have instructions to, to proceed with civil claims, at least against, uh, against the government, so to speak, uh, and claim financial compensation for our clients. Okay. Before, before we come to that, uh, Mr. Masekil, help me understand here, you're saying that uh, you do have ha- funds. Yes. Uh, you, you, who, who has funds? Is it you as the attorneys representing the families of the deceased and, and the minors themselves who are participating in the commission do not have funds? Is that what you're saying? And how much is available? Can it sustain you uh, until the 31st of uh, October? Uh, that's quite correct, uh, Bonnie. We, we have funds as the attorneys for the families to continue uh, with the commission, um, the miners are the ones without, or their lawyers are the ones without funds. Now, we ourselves have written to the commission, um, I think this was way in May, to say the funds that we have will last us at least uh, up until end of December, should the commission, I mean, because we could, we could tell that the commission would not would not achieve its purpose by end of October. We have written to the commission and said, look, our funds that we have will probably last us till end of December. After that, we'll also run into difficulties. Now, as you, as you pointed out, there is, there is an extension that's coming. We don't know up until when. And obviously, once it extends beyond, <laughs> beyond December, then we'll be in the same, exactly the same boat as, as the miners ourselves, mm. which is part of the reason why we have to, we have to ask, at least show some solidarity at bare minimum to, towards them. All right. Maybe you may want to stay on uh, uh, even after this interview to, to listen in. We're hoping to talk to Pumla Williams. She is the spokesperson for the cabinet. And uh, because uh, Justice and, Devel- and Constitutional Development Minister Jeff Khadebe will be addressing this issue of uh, uh, legal representatives uh, for the arrested uh, uh, minors and, uh, of course, uh, the issue of, uh, of uh, funding there. But let's move on now to the civil claim. Unpack it for us. Uh, I mean, <laughs> obviously you would be you'll be aware that I mean we we hold a view that um, our, our at least our the, the, the families of our of our clients, those who passed away, obviously we say they were shot and killed unlawfully by the police, and hence we say they do have a civil claim. Now, by law, we have by within six months of the incident having happened, which was the 16th of August last year we have to send a letter of demand, so to speak, um, to say we demand this amount of payments. Now, we have, we have done that. We have sent out a notice um, and slash letter of demand to, to the National Commissioner to say we have uh, instructions to demand these kind of um, amounts. And obviously those amounts range from loss of support, uh, emotional, um, <coughs> emotional suffering, um, as, as, as the core of the claim. What happened thereafter is that we received letters from the state, from the state attorneys saying that we have received your letters, we have, uh, con- well, we, we have forwarded them to the relevant departments, we'll revert back to you. And that was three months ago. Now, with the whole um, mess that's happening with the commission itself, our clients have gotten to a stage where they said, look, we don't know what's happening to this commission. The way it's proceeding, we, we now are losing confidence in the commission. Mm. Now, we ask you to proceed uh, with issuing summons now, because remember the first stage is to issue a letter of demand, and if that demand is not met, then the next step would be to issue a, a, a summons. So now we are at that stage where we have instructions, and now we are busy drafting um, particulars of claim in terms of uh, having to issue a summons and say, this is our case, we're now taking it to court, these are our demands. You have not uh, at least acceded or at least acknowledged 
any any fault from your client and made any counter offer there too. Uh, so those are our current instructions, and that's the way forward from now on. But, but uh, as we close, uh, Mr. Masekili, quickly, is, is, is this now, is this move as a result of uh, the, exp- the difficulty that we're experiencing because of uh, the, the, the issue of funding, or was it always going to come? It, it, it was always going to come. Um, the question was timing and in and, and, and terms of clients and saying, you know, we were running with, it's quite difficult, as you understand, for attorneys to run two parallel uh, legal proceedings, you know, to run the commission and run um, the silver claim. Okay. Uh, but because, you know, it was always coming, but because of the faith, I mean, a lack of faith that they now have, they, they said, look, what are we going to achieve with this kind of composition of the commission? We might as well just... Uh, at least get get some conversation out of this. Okay, we well, thank you very much, Tabocho uh, Mosikile, representing uh, families of uh, the deceased minors. Let's uh, talk now to our reporter, Fenuel Schumer. Uh, talk us through uh, what came out of uh, the proceedings today at uh, the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. Uh, good day, Bongi. Um, what came out today is uh, an appeal or a request by the Human Rights Commission that uh, uh, the president should perhaps consider extending the deadline for the commission, which is set for the 31st of October this year. Uh, they are saying that uh, if the deadline is not extended, this will not give a fair hearing or a fair chance to other parties that have pulled out of the commission's hearings since Monday. Uh, they were referring to advocate Dalimpofu and uh, a group of uh, minors who were arrested and uh, injured during the Maritana tragedy who announced that uh, uh, they are pulling out provisionally until the issue of funding uh, is resolved. So the Human Rights Commission is saying that uh, uh, the commission should actually engage the presidency to see if the deadline cannot be extended beyond the 31st of October. How far are we, Fenwell, uh, into the hearings? How far still to go? Do we even know? Well, uh, there is still a lot of work to be done, according to one of the evidence leaders, Jeff Patlanda, who tabled before the commission this morning that uh, they have identified at least a further 53 witnesses who are yet to testify before the commission. And you can imagine they have been a lot of them who have already participated in these hearings. And uh, he also emphasized that there could be still more whose name have not been brought before the commission. And uh, he asked parties who are participating in this commission to bring forward the names of uh, possible uh, witnesses that need to testify. And he says this might lead to the Commission not uh, completing its work by the 31st of October, which simply mitigates for the extension of the deadline that is set by the government to be the 31st of October. Thank you very much uh, to our reporter, Fenwell Schumer, on the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. I'll be reading your SMSs uh, after the headlines and, of course, uh, crossing to shadow with uh, uh, otherwise uh, a lot of them. This one, just a quick one saying that uh, get the pass rate up, lower our education standards. Uh, that's uh, always our country's solution. Disappointing. Let's go to there, who uh, has sent this one again. Half past 12 right now, and uh, let's say good afternoon to Tzile Sako with the news headlines. Thanks, Atila. We'll see you later on. And uh, Shadow Twelve, I've missed talking to you in the past couple of days. Uh, what's coming up on otherwise? Well, you'll be happy to know that I'm in Johannesburg, and oh, I'm coming to you like from I'm our Joburg studio. Talking to you again today. <laughs> Uh, but uh, let me tell you that uh, between 1 and 2 this afternoon, it's a uh, shadow twilight. Can you not hear me? Indeed, great, great radio. Uh, Can you not hear me? Is she on the line? No, she's not on the line. Let me just read a couple I of SMSs here. I have uh, read the report. Uh, uh, it repeats what we know, and our education before university is not assisting black students who are not from uh, uh, Model C, says C under there. So let's go to Shadow. Good afternoon. Are you on the line for us, Shadow? Can you hear me now? Ah. Oh. I'm there in Johannesburg, go. my dear. You're across the road? I'm just across the road from you. <laughs> I'm going to cuss with you. <laughs> Thanks, Bongi. Today we speak to very special woman, Cindy Wemagona, who's the author of Mother to Mother, and Tembi Mchali, who's the actress. And we're talking about adapting the book from book to stage. So do join us and stay tuned.
I'll do that uh, indeed. Thank you very much, uh, Shadow. It's uh, 28 minutes to 1. This is uh, Midday Live, SAFM 104 to 107. The fourth annual national and uh, international perspectives on crime reduction and criminal justice conference concludes today in Johannesburg. Hosted by the Institute for Security Studies, the two-day conference has, uh, over the past three years, uh, been a platform for researchers, academics, policymakers, law and criminal practitioners to meet, network and share ideas and experiences. Let's uh, talk now to the head of uh, the Governance, Crime and Justice Division at uh, the Institute for Security Studies, uh, Gareth uh, Newham. Good afternoon to you, Gareth. Good afternoon and good afternoon to everybody listening. Let's talk about uh, this conference. Uh, Over the past two days, what did you touch on? Well, we've touched on quite a number of different areas. We've had uh, 42 speakers speaking on 15 different thematic panels from 10 different countries, most of those countries, African countries. So it's been a wide range of topics that we've been looking at, uh, everything from policing to crime prevention to hate crimes to xenophobic violence to gender-related crimes to victim support, um, a whole range of different topics to help us better understand the kinds of crime challenges we're facing, innovative ways of reducing crime and making our community safer, and, of course, we're looking at other ways to fix and improve the performance of the criminal justice systems. So those are the broad areas that we've been focusing a lot on over the last two days. Mm. And uh, do you think a conference like this will, will assist in, in breaking uh, the syndicates that operate not only in the country but have links uh, uh, internationally? We're talking of uh, child pornography, for instance. Right now we, we saw six people being arrested yesterday. So a conference like this, uh, will, will it, will it uh, contribute to that? Well, I don't think it's uh, that kind of conference. In other words, we're not looking at the specific policing and investigative methods that you would use, for instance, to uh, identify and break up a syndicate. That is very specialized policing type work. What we would be looking at really is the kind of support you would need to give to the victims of that kind of crime to ensure that they don't suffer uh, from secondary trauma and to ensure that they don't, for instance, later on in life, become perpetrators themselves. So we look at the sort of systems and the the initiatives that are in place to assist people who've been through those kinds of traumatic experiences so that they can get the best support possible and they can live a productive lives. So that's the kind of conference. We're looking more at a higher policy level. We're looking at the kind of research results that are coming out. We're not looking at the the, the details, for instance, of how you investigate a crime. It's much more of a high-level conference where you're bringing in people who do research from across the continent in South Africa, policymakers, so that the the state decides that it's going to spend money on trying to reduce crime or fix the criminal justice system. It has, it's much more informed about the kinds of things that are more likely to work uh, and doesn't do things that are less likely to work. Mm. And uh, when you take resolutions here, I mean, this is, uh, this is the third conference now, if I'm not mistaken. When you take these resolutions, what do you do with them? Do you submit to uh, your uh, local police uh, services, for instance, here in South Africa, SAPS, uh, Interpol, and uh, everyone else who is in that cluster? Well, yes, the papers and the, the information, the analysis that's presented is available. Uh, we publish that on our website. We use that in various other publications and initiatives that we're involved in. So certainly, for instance, we'll, when we make inputs, for example, on the green paper on policing, the kind of information that comes out of research within the police about the organizational dynamics that informs how the police do their work, how they treat civilians, how they understand the, the, the challenges they're facing, that kind of information will then be used out of conferences like that to make submissions to the Green Paper on Policing, to the Portfolio uh, Committee on Police about what's going on in South Africa and the police, and then also to the Minister and the police themselves. So mm. we do try to make sure that the information that comes out of here is distributed as widely as possible to the people who most need it. But, uh, uh, Mr. Newham, it's really disheartening when uh, you hear that uh, close to 1,500 members of the SAPS, for instance, have criminal records. Uh, did you speak about uh, issues like, like these? Well, yes, that is one of the issues that we, we looked at yesterday. Um, that, that, is a, that is a result, obviously, of a systemic failure within the police to be able to pick up people with criminal records and address those uh, problems quickly. And it's a, it's, a, it's a bigger problem than just those 1,500 people. For example, if you look over the last five years, the Independent Police Investigative Directorate which is an independent body where people who have uh, got complaints against the police or where they've got criminal cases against the police, open criminal cases with that body to investigate. It's received 11,880 
criminal cases against the police in the last five years. It's only managed to prosecute about 2,500 of those, and out of that, 129 convictions. So what that tells us is the systems for investigating and prosecuting police officials who are involved in crime or criminal acts get away with it 99% of the time. Okay. So we now know that there's a whole systemic failure there. For instance, we saw the six police people getting acquitted after shooting their Tommy, even though there are there are footage of them. It's a problem not only the police but the prosecuting authorities, and that needs to be looked at much more closely and fixed if you're going to stop police corruption and police brutality. Gareth Sanyu, and thank you very much. He is the head of uh, the Governance, Crime and Justice Division at the Institute for Security Studies. You strike a woman, you strike a rock. This iconic phrase has come to represent an entire generation. When the chips were down and all hope was lost, when we couldn't even imagine a solution, you were strong enough to stand up and fight. Your courage is the building block of this nation. Your femininity, never a weakness, but always a secret strength. We thank you for the contribution you've made from the grassroots up. To the nation's pillars, we salute you, and SAFM wishes you a happy Women's Month. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. It's a midday live SFM 104 to 107. Thank you very much for joining us. We're together till one this afternoon. And uh, some of uh, the SMSs coming through. Uh, what does Mugabe make of uh, his uh, neighbors sending ex-presidents to his inauguration? If that is not a diplomatic snap, what is it then? Uh, perhaps uh, they see him as an ex-president as well, says Tongai in uh, Pretoria. And uh, a quick one here. It says uh, it's true in Zimbabwe there is a an inauguration of an ex-president being attended by the ex-presidents of Zambia, South Africa, Botswana, etc. That's Jim in Hillbrow. It's at 22.1. Let's talk now to uh, the cabinet spokesperson, Pumla Williams. Good afternoon to you, Pumla. A lot of issues uh, coming out uh, of uh, the briefing today. Uh, but first, maybe let's uh, start with uh, the, the briefing by uh, the, the Justice and Constitutional Development Minister, Jeff Hadebe, touching on uh, the two commissions. What can you tell us? If you don't mind, uh, I think that was a different process, and I think the statement, as you will note, uh, has reference to Advocate Mahaga. So I would suggest that you speak to to Justice uh, on that statement. But on the Cabinet statement, I'm quite happy to comment on. Let's talk on, on, on that then uh, specifically. Some of the issues uh, coming through, I mean, the rent is weakening, uh, and uh, we've breached that uh, uh, ta- Reserve Bank ta- inflation targeting. What did the Cabinet say? The cabinet uh, sort of ratified what was discussed in the cabinet last week uh, on the 13th to the 15th. Uh, Minister Rob Davis was just giving an account of some of the interventions that uh, the Lehotla came up with as a way of trying to mitigate some of the economic outlook that was presented in the Lehotla. Uh, and, and I think Minister, uh, Minister Davis pointed out quite a number of interventions, uh, but the important thing that they start off was is that, yes, there are some challenges globally and also globally, uh, domestically, but the, what was encouraging in, in the whole economic outlook is the fact that there are certain uh, strengths that we can leverage in, in, in managing the storm as it faces the country. And there were quite a number of interventions that were pointed out, which I think I will not be able to unpack all of them. But the important also issue is that there is an acknowledgement that there are programs that are in our uh, uh, program of action that can be uh, strengthened and expedited in order to manage the economic situation. Some of them, for instance, is the infrastructure project. 
there was an appreciation of the project, progress, progress that has been made, but importantly, these are projects that have funding that can go a long way in strengthening the job creation project but also strengthening the infrastructure projects that have been approved by cabinet. And there were some other uh, uh, recommendations that were put forward. Some of them is the issue of uh, doing whatever it takes to try and, and, and lessen the burden in terms of our policy processes uh, to allow the business to function and not be caught up in a lot of red tapes. So there was uh, that acknowledgement that we need to do whatever it takes to stabilize the labor front, in particular some of the the framework framework that has been agreed upon in the mining sector. The the cabinet took a decision that we have to do whatever it takes in this remaining uh, couple of years in this administration to stabilize the mining sector with a view of making sure that the mining sector begins to function and generating more uh, revenue for the country. Uh, there was also an appreciation of the, imp- the small business that sh- we need to do whatever it takes to create an environment that will be easier for small businesses. Uh, one of the recommendations that has been put is to create an infrastructure, almost like a one-stop shop, portal for the small upcoming businesses okay. to be able to function and not be caught up in a lot of red tapes. All right. Well, thank you very much, Pumla Williams, uh, spokesperson for the Cabinet. At uh, 14, make it 16 minutes to 1. Uh, with that, we give you your lunchtime market updates. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Sudhir Singh is uh, with uh, Sasfin Securities. Good afternoon to you, Sudhir. How are the markets looking today? Bongi global markets uh, have rebounded this morning, with European markets uh, showing broad-based gains after the U.S. Fed minutes showed a more cautious outlook on the economy, which would likely give the Fed more room to hold back on tapering at its next meeting, as well as better-than-expected German manufacturing data, which came out this morning. Over on Wall Street, however, stocks fell sharply last night as investors still remain wary as to when the Fed will pull back its bond-buying purchasing. Taking a look at uh, the U.S. stock futures, it is pointing to a bounce later on this afternoon. Locally, the JSE has followed its uh, European counterparts higher, led by the platinum miners, on the back of the precious metal trading stronger. In corporate news, uh, MassMart reported an increase in uh, first-half profits of around 10%. MassMart, which uh, generates about 10% of its sales from uh, several African countries outside of SA, said the result was positively impacted by currency swings. Just taking a look at the local indices, we've got the gold index, which is down uh, 6.2%. Resource 10 index is up 0.9%. Industrial 25 index is up 0.3%. The financial index is down 0.2%. And overall, the market is up around 149 points, or 0.3% to 42,911. Your stocks on the move today, Sudhu? On the upside, we have Implats, which is up uh, just under 2.5% at 116 rands and 70 cents. BHP Bulletin is up just over 1.5% at 306 rands and 90 cents. MTN is up uh, just under 1.5% at 192 rands and 20 cents. Sassel is up uh, just over 1% at 479 rands and 50 cents. And on the downside, we have uh, Anglo Gold, which is down just under 4.5% at 142 rands and 50 cents. Woolworths is down just over 2% at 61 rands and 40 cents. Mr. Price is down just over 1.5% at 124 rands and 60 cents. And lastly, we have Clicks, which is down half a percent, 55 rands and 90 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,367.50 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,517.50 an ounce. Brent crude is at $109.80 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 10 rand 40 cents to the dollar, 16 rand 10 cents to the pound, and 13 rand 80 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much, Sudhir Singh of Sasfin Securities. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business. Marilyn, I need a non-automated, hand-operated ink dispenser for the objective of on-paper documentation. A pen, sir? Yes. 
That's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud, and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click telcom.co.za forward slash business, or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. And we stay with the figures. The consumer inflation in July hit 6.3%, accelerating from 5.5% in June, uh, breaching the ceiling of uh, the Reserve Bank's target band. With inflation now over the Reserve Bank's upper target of uh, 6%, it is likely that unions will not change their mind on their double-digit wage demands. Employers are also not prepared to offer workers a revised offer above 10%. Economists say the jump in inflation was not was too larger extent driven by the sharp increase in petrol prices in July. Earlier I spoke to Tendani Mansumuli, an economist at Liberty, and I started by asking her to unpack these figures for us and uh, what is it that they mean? Of note, what happened this month is that the petrol price increase, the 84 cents per litre increase we saw in July, added a 0.4 percentage point to inflation growth. And so that's where the, the, the problem came in. That's a problem because, as you know, the month of July and August, most unions are going out to negotiate a higher salaries. Now, transport costs are a bulk of the expenditure for most people in that income group. So you can be very sure that these things will be pushed on as, as, as higher salary increases. And that's where the Reserve Bank has a problem with. Uh, if salaries increase and if petrol prices continue increasing, we have what we call a generalized increase in inflation. So prices of other goods increase as well, and that becomes a problem for inflation targeting. However, I do not think with this breach for one month, the Reserve Bank is going to change its interest rate policy stance. We're still going to see interest rates remain the same for just a while longer. But the unions would feel their cause is justified then to demand a double-digit increase. Exactly. Um, One of the the publications that are going to come out uh, today is the General Household Survey. Um, People don't talk about that a lot. But the General Household Survey uh, shows us that about 62% of South South Africans get their income from salaries. Now, if you get your income from salaries, uh, and if inflation goes up, it just means your spending capacity is diminished. So most people in the lower income group uh, spend the bulk of their income on transport to work, food inflation. That didn't go up a lot. But if transport inflation has gone up, and we also know that water costs have gone up, we know that electricity costs are going up, um, people's income become very, very squeezed, which is why you've also had um, the concern about unsecured lending increasing because people's incomes just are not sufficient to meet their day-to-day expenses. It's not, in most cases, it's not that people are buying luxury goods. It's just that you need to buy necessities and therefore you revert to unsecured lending if your salary doesn't meet your requirements. Where are the companies uh, going to get this money now to meet the salary demands? Exactly my point. Uh, it becomes a, a, a very big problem. You've seen that uh, GDP growth increased by 0.9%, which means that the economy is weakening more than what anybody would like. So when you have weak economic growth, it follows that you don't create jobs, uh, you don't generate enough profits, the mining companies, if I were to use an example, you have a general weakness in commodity prices. What has helped them a bit is that the renders have, has, has been weakening and has weakened over the past few months. But if you look at their, their income, which, which they get when they sell the, the produce uh, at, 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 at foreign markets, if commodity prices have weakened, it means that has also gone down commensurately. So the income that they have to, to increase Those who've been calling for inflation targeting system to be abolished would feel perhaps it's the right time to introduce that kind of thinking. But you know what? Inflation to me, and if inflation expectations are anchored, 
Inflation is an enemy of everybody, particularly those in low-income groups and the poor. Somebody at a higher income bracket can uh, can help against inflation by investing in other instruments. Let's take a pensioner or somebody who, can, who gets uh, a, an income grant from government. And according to the previous survey, the general household survey, there were about 44% of South Africans who depend on that for their daily uh, income. So if you depend on that kind of income which is fixed and inflation goes up, we, we do away with the target. We say inflation should go where it goes. It goes up to 8% to 9%. It simply means that... Uh, for every rent that you spend, the value of that rent is going to diminish that quicker. So for me, inflation targeting is a very good thing for South Africa because we are we have gotten used to the system and inflation expectations are anchored. Having runaway inflation is going to uh, disadvantage the poor people more. Should we then open the band a little bit, uh, maybe to 65 even 7%, or should we uh, squeeze it to at least 6%? I'm fine with inflation where it is now because expectations have, have already been anchored. The problem is not that there's an inflation targeting ban because people uh, look at it and say, oh, inflation has breached the target, therefore the Reserve Bank is going to hike interest rate. We know that the bank is very conscious that while their mandate is to provide price stability, they do so uh, bearing in mind that the economy is weak and uh, they should do whatever possible, measures possible to make sure that um, they support economic growth. And one of the ways that they're doing that, while inflation has breached the target and is going to reserve back or is on the upper end of the target, towards the upper end of the target, the bank is not uh, hiking interest rate, and rightly so, because keeping them unchanged is also a measure of supporting economic growth because those of us who are indebted can continue to service our debts at a very low interest rate. When we are faced with a situation like this, can we talk about a current account deficit and a foreign direct investment with the same breath? We can. We certainly should because these are the things that the Reserve Bank has to look at when they balance what to do with monetary policy. Should we hide? Should we let interest remain the same? Or we should, interest rates remain the same? Or should we cut to support economic growth? And certainly, for me, with the current account deficit where it is, there's no way that the Reserve Bank can cut interest rate and hope that foreigners will still keep on investing. Tendani Matsimule is an economist at Liberty. A dream of a state-of-the-art chicken farm has turned into a nightmare. A bank loan was supposed to make this dream come true. The way they pushed me to the ground, tomorrow I don't know where I'm going to be. You know, overall, if you see, it's not my fault. As clients continue losing assets, some banks claim documents were lost in a fire. Investigating securitization. Watch Special Assignment Thursday at 9.30 on SABC3. My daughter became a professional musician at the age of nine, even if it was just for a day. Old Mitchell took her to play with the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra and let her leave her dream of becoming a musician 15 years before it happened. I'm glad we started saving for her education early. We all have dreams. The only way of making them real is by planning. Contact your Old Mutual Financial Advisor or your broker or call 0860-606060 for advice on an education plan for your child. Let us join you through every stage of your life journey from today. Do great things. Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. The UN Security Council has echoed sentiments by the UN Secretary General of strong concern for the alleged use of chemical weapons in Syria. Opposition groups have accused the Syrian government of firing rockets with poisonous gas on residential areas early yesterday morning, with reports claiming hundreds, if not over 1,000 victims. The council was briefed by the Deputy Secretary General on the situation in Syria in an emergency session late yesterday. Here's Sherwin Bryce Peace with that report. The pictures are disturbing. Hundreds reportedly dead from chemical weapons allegedly deployed by government forces. Allegations uncorroborated, but vehemently denied by the Syrian army. After the emergency session in New York, a cautious statement by Council President Argentina's ambassador, Maria Percival. There is a strong concern among council members about the allegations and a general sense 
that there must be clarity on what happened and that the situation has to be followed carefully. All council members agree that any use of chemical weapons by any side under any circumstances is a violation of international law. Sharon Bryce, peace on that package for us. Let's quickly go to uh, our SABC Foreign Desk editor, Kenneth Makatias. He is in Harare. Kenneth, African heads of state, former presidents and other high-ranking dignitaries arriving there uh, in, in Zimbabwe to attend President Robert Mugabe's inauguration. So it's happening for real. Yeah, it's happening. I think we're actually heading towards the end of the program. President Mugabe has just started with his speech. Uh, it's been a colourful event the whole morning. The Chief Justice administered the oath. Uh, we've seen 21 gun salute and a fly pass and lots of entertainment in a packed national sports stadium with about 60,000 people here. And uh, what is the mood like uh, in Zimbabwe right now as we speak? Look, we, we've been around. I mean, we had to wait quite long to get to the stadium this morning. There are really a lot of people. I mean, I believe that they are, this is a 60-seater stadium, and it's almost full. Uh, so I assume there's about 60,000 people here. There's a lot of people around here, a lot of people with Zanu PF T-shirts uh, and party slogans, and I think it's pretty much a huge party affair at the moment. All right, and, and the focus of uh, President Robert Mugabe's speech, did he take a, a swipe at the West, uh, maybe his uh, uh, rhetoric about uh, sanctions and, and so on? I've, it's just started, so I haven't really heard what he, what he said. I, I, he started off by thanking everyone that's being here. But I think that the agreement was earlier that there's huge... Um, a value attached to the event this morning is a huge amount of resources and planning invested in the event. And I think the agreement was that President Mugabe wanted to show the world that he is the elected president of Zimbabwe and that Zimbabwe is actually, uh, you know, uh, fine on, on the road ahead after the elections. I think that was the message that he was trying to convey to convey through the event here. It was an open-door event that people of the city have been invited to the event here. So I think for President Mugabe, it's been quite important the kind of message that he's sending out. I'm going to have to leave it at that. Thank you very much, Kenneth Makatias, SABC's Foreign Desk Editor. And thanks to the team also, Mabubuluka and Starazale Lamini, technical producers today, Maprela and Easy Padayachi. We say thank you to Nomalizo Mandela, our senior producer, and executive producers, Busi Chan and Obrisechi. My name is Bongri Kuala. We'll meet again tomorrow for your Friday edition of Midday Live.